Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This call is being recorded. You are listening to the SteelTheFury.com podcast. Uh, I am your almost awake host. Uh, Bradshaw to Ben, a.k.a. Will Massasac. I'm here in downtown Los Angeles at 6 o'clock in the morning just so that I could be with my two favorite Steelers people in the world. Uh, with us uh, from somewhere in upstate New York is Steel Perch. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. And uh, also with us from uh, the 90-mile-an-hour hurricane-ravaged, <laughs> tree-felled, no-internet-rained place uh, in North Augusta, Actually, that sounds like a, not a real place. Somewhere in the <laughs> south. His name is FC. He's with us. Uh, how are you, sir? I am dry. I have fucking power, so I am a lot better than I was. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I got. I got some friends there uh, and family down in South Florida. And when the hurricane was originally tracked, it was supposed to go straight through. Um, uh, Miami, Miami Beach, where I know tons of people, and they all evacuated. But the people who were inland, they were like, "Oh yeah, it's on the other side of the state. We're going to tough it out." And then when the track shifted, it ended up being. Um, I have friends in Miami Lakes, which is by the airport there, and I don't know if you guys saw pictures, but they had um, sustained winds of 140 there, and so they still don't have power. Their 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 house is fine, but they're uh, they're going to be without power for like a month. So uh, anyway. That's what you get for for not evacuating. That's why I always say. Um, speaking of not evacuating, um, the Steelers evacuated Cleveland with a – that sounds like something Cleveland does, evacuating. Um, the Steelers left Cleveland with a uh, with a small victory, but as Ben says, there are no style points. I wonder where you heard that one from. Uh, there are no style points, and the Steelers came out there with a victory, but it gave us a lot to talk about. Uh, if the Steelers had just you know cruised to a ho-hum victory over the Browns, we wouldn't feel like we knew anything about them. But now we have all sorts of criticisms and uh, picky and uh, arguments to make. And uh, since you're pretty much the expert at that, Persh, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> what was your take on the game? Oh, I'd say it was a typical Steelers road game. It was a typical Steelers play to win, win ugly, attrition football, bullshit, don't go blow out a bad team. We just want to keep it close and win because it all counts the same football game that I think all of us are pretty fed up with. I mean, you, with with the talent that's on that offense, to to put up 14 points against the Browns in, in perfect weather, it, it's just it's unacceptable. I mean, it, it just it, to be you know every national prognosticator says the Steelers have the most talent on offense of anybody in the NFL. Even the Bills scored three touchdowns on offense. The Steelers got two. You know, and, and it was any little wrinkle that a, a defensive coach shows Todd Haley that he didn't expect going into the week completely baffles him for the entire game. Hey, they're going to play two safeties 25 yards off the line. Oh, shit, I didn't plan for that. We're fucked. I mean, that's basically what I saw out of that game. Yeah, and I mean, I will add to that that Ben, ben revealed this week that, you know, those the screen, the idea of doing the screens off the bat were was scripted. That's part of their 10-play scripted stuff. And the only thing they didn't run from the script were a couple of running plays on third and long. But otherwise, they did exactly all those screens in a row is what they wanted to do. I, you know, just like, how do you how do you come out for a game plan against an opponent with a script of like, yeah, we're going to run five wide receiver screens in a row. It's crazy. Um, FC, you know, <laughs> yes, we yes we've come to get used to this, but um, I, I guess we're going to have to have acceptance. The guy, you know, the 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 coordinator is not going to lose his job. The head coach is the head coach as long as he wants to do the job. Uh, we only have so much of the quarterback left, but he he sort of had the he seemed to have the he seemed to express the feelings of Steeler Nation uh, after about the third drive when he came off and you know did everything but uh, quit immediately and take his uniform off. <laughs> he was angry about the situation. Um, what, you know, what do you think? What's, do you think there's, a, a, once again, this uh, tension between Ben and the coaching? 
I think that Ben gets along pretty pretty well with uh, with Mike Tomlin. Um, and I understand that earlier this year, Ed Bouchette ran an article that said that uh, Mike Tomlin has a say on all game planning and, and whatnot. But I think in questioning any script that has eight out of the ten first place being bubble screens, because I actually heard the exact same interview with Ben that you heard, you know, no cable, no power up until yesterday. I sat in front of the TV and watched every single thing that I could watch on sports because I felt like I was missing something on Monday and Tuesday. Um, I, I just, I hate Todd Haley. I mean, I really don't feel like I have the right to bitch because I bitched about Bruce Arians and I bitched about Mike Montlarkey and Ken Wisenhut. I might be the guy that is not calling for the backup quarterback, but just calling for the offensive coordinator to be fired every year. And I'm good with that. I'm, I'm, I'm at acceptance with that. I will never be at acceptance with an offensive play script where your first 10 plays, you know, 60, 70% of them are bubble screens when you have probably three of the most dynamic skill position players in the NFL. You know, it's funny, Purchase. I, I, um, I mean, it's a great point, FC, um, and I'm totally with you. What's funny, Purchase, that I looked back, I was thinking, you know, well, last year against the Redskins, it was a driving rainstorm, and yet the Steelers put up 30, whatever, and, you know, and, and managed to put up the points on the scoreboard against a team that I would argue last year's Redskins uh, better than the Browns, uh, even though I think the Browns are improved this year. Last year's Redskins were better than the Browns. Steelers, uh, you know, still lit it up on the scoreboard and so on. And the, then I looked back at the transcript because I was going to make this argument about how we started off, you know, more aggressively and together and the lack of reps in the preseason didn't seem to hurt last year. That was my, going to be my argument. Then I went back and I looked. We basically started off the same exact way. We had, uh, you know, runs up the middle and bubble screens at the beginning of the game. We did that for the same period of time. It's just that when we kind of came out of the shell in Washington, we came out with more success than we did in Cleveland. And we needed, you know, and we sort of poured it on a little bit. Um, and Le'Veon Bell, of course, was healthier and more 100%, but we basically came into the, eased into the season, I guess, the same way last year. It just, it's, it's so weird to me to, to think that the team plays with such a different mentality at home and the road. And when I tried to make the argument that Ben's home road discrepancy had a, more to do with what the plans were in these, in these games than generally his, you know, what was going on with him – uh, people laughed at me, but I, it just feels like this team is, a, you know, has two identities right now: home and road. They do it intentionally, and I, you know, where it's, it, you know, I suppose it starts with the head coach. But if you don't have a guy that can execute as the offensive coordinator, it's rough, man. Um, yeah, I, I mean, sorry, Ben I never had the the home road splits under Bruce Arians. I mean, they they came out and they were going to attack you every week, and they were, you know, they were going deep and they were going to be aggressive, and that's what they did. And when Todd Haley came. Ben's numbers dramatically changed home and road, you know, and just even that, that game, it's it's like the Todd Haley offenses, we're going to throw the ball at the line of scrimmage or behind, or we're chucking at 30 yards downfield. Well, that whole area in between is kind of missing from the playbook. And, it, and it, to me, it's that's what it looked like the Browns defensive coordinator kind of game plan. He's like, you know what, we're going to take away the deep pass. We're going to jam everybody else near the line, try and slow their running game and tackle their bubble screens and make them, make them, beat us, you know, uh, 10 yards at a time through the middle of the field, and they just couldn't or wouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's interesting about that, Perch, is I, I look, I don't know if you guys ever go to NFL Next, next Gen Stats, um, but they, you know, it's NFL's, it's the thing they, you know, they've been touting for a couple of years now. They don't, it's sort of, they can't figure out what to do with it to publicize it, but uh, at any rate, it's this, you know, shows a lot of passing charts and uh, some stats for players and running charts and all this other kind of stuff. Um, and I, I was looking at it yesterday, something interesting that I saw. Um, ben Roethlisberger is exactly the average overall um, at the short game. You know, so, so the line of scrimmage, five yards beyond the line of scrimmage, he's, he's, if you total up all his numbers, he's basically league average in that regard, right? Um, he's a little bit below league average throwing – uh, between 10 and 20 yards to the left, which is an interesting thing to note. So this is all of last year, for instance. Um, in the other areas, uh, intermediate middle, intermediate right, intermediate or deep left, deep middle, deep right, he is like 20 or 30 uh, passer rating points higher than the league average in all those areas. 
So of course we never throw there. <laughs> you know, it's like we had guy had uh, twenty Ben had something like uh, twenty eight throws of his forty throws, and this includes penalties, things that were called back by penalty. Out of the forty throws, he had twenty eight of them less than from three yards down downfield or in the backfield. Twenty eight. So we clearly have built an offense that's the opposite of what he's actually good at and turned him into an average quarterback. I mean, FC, you want, I know we agree that, you know, we, neither of us would keep the offensive coordinator because it feels like these, these things, what Perch just said about the home road split starting with, with Todd uh, and what I'm saying about how the offense is built and what you're saying about, you know, the issues with the game plan we would we would change this up, but they they apparently are not going to. I don't know if it's because the organization is you know beholden to him because he's a you know he's a made man or what the deal is, but it's not going to change. So since it's not going to change, uh, you know what was our best hope? Like what's our best hope for change? What do you think might happen? And I, I we've beaten this horse for five years now, but you, you must have an idea. I actually. I have an idea of why we have gone to this type of offense. I have no idea of how you solve it if you're going to continue not attacking all levels of the field in the passing game. I think the reason that we've gone to this bubble screen in short game as much as we have is uh, they don't want Ben taking the hits. I think that's obvious. I do not believe the Steelers think their offensive line is nearly as good as the fan base does. I think that that 16 sacks allowed last year might be an inflated stat by Ben getting the ball in and out of his hands so quickly. I'm not saying this is right. Um, I'm not saying that that Marcus Gilbert and Alejandro Villanueva and Pouncey DeCastro and Foster can't get it done. I will say, in my opinion, Ramon Foster is probably our best pass blocker. And the four other guys strength their game is the run game but we don't run the ball a lot and you're never going to be able to run the ball on nine and ten man boxes i wish the cleveland browns had two safeties deep a lot last week i could at least deal with some of this they had one high safety in the middle of the field and nine men in the box a lot and we're going to attempt to run bubble screens Flanker screens, smoke screens, itches against it. It's never going to work. If I see one high safety in the middle of the field, they should have this a simple audible, which is maybe a Martavius, go fucking deep. Whichever one of you gets the man coverage and the safety rolls that way, I'm going the opposite way, and I'm going to throw teams out of it. It's never going to happen. I, I do not have an answer. I do not see a solution. What I do agree with is we probably have the most talented offense from a skill position perspective in the NFL. We have a Ferrari offense, and we decide to use it as a little Mazda fucking brat pickup truck. We we, we we don't. It's like having a sports car and never going over forty miles per hour. That's our offense. To sum it up. Yeah, um, I mean, ho- however, Perch, the the golden lining is when we're at home, we attack everybody as if as if we were running, you know. Uh, the greatest show on turf, right? I mean, so the thing is, this is isn't this week doesn't this shape up to be the Kansas City of last year? Yeah, you know, somewhat. Where you you kind of you know you expect the Steelers to come out and put up a bunch of points in the game, they end up with nothing but a bunch of field goals or just a couple of touchdowns. It's just, yeah, I almost felt like in that Browns game that they got thrown off by being off the field for so much in the first quarter because of blocked uh, punt for a touchdown. So it's like. You know, Cleveland gets a little bit of a drive going, and you stop them. And that first drive, I think, in that first drive, eat up four minutes. I think the Browns got three yards, but due to penalties or sack or whatever happened, it ate up a good amount of time. And then we blocked the punt, got a touchdown, and the Browns got the ball back again. It was, you know, it was from the time the Steelers warmed up until the offense took the field was probably 20 minutes of real time. I kind of wonder if that maybe threw things off, but it doesn't really absolve any of the, the, the play calling or the the design of the offense for that game. It was a mess. Not much more you could say about it. Yeah, that well, um, but I was talking more about the first Kansas City game, the one at home last year where they came off this, you know, really bad loss in Philly, 
uh, came home and just bomb, like bombs away. It was a, a complete and utter opposite of what their road offense looks like. Um, well, I mean, that's, they, that's my issue with trying to predict this Minnesota game. I mean, going off of what I saw from Minnesota and their defense and what I saw from the Steelers and their offense, there's no way in the world anybody in their right mind could think the Steelers are going to do anything impressive on offense. But we've all seen it enough. Well, hey, it's the home opener and the Steelers are at home and some reason they're a seven-point favorite. They're probably going to go up and put 38 points on Minnesota and make us all scratch our heads again. And then the next week they'll probably go to Chicago, put up 13, and lose. I mean, it just it is it's what we're it's what we're subjected to every week. Does it make sense? <laughs> That's pretty. I think you just nailed it. We can just call it the show. Um, I call the next three shows in a row. Next week 38 <laughs> points. Week after 13 in Chicago and lose. Yeah, there you go. We're we're all set, man. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, the. Uh, you know, this inconsistency in the style, it's got to be hard for them, too. I, I, FC, I'm, I, I think you really hit on something, though, with the fact that it doesn't appear that they trust their offensive line. Um, they, they, they look at it the way that, that the, most people who look at the team see it. Most people see it as a strength. I mean, I, maybe it's the front office that thinks the offensive line is great. They keep signing them to big money deals uh, for long term. But the coaching staff is like, yeah, well, we have to protect them a little bit to make it work. But yeah, you know, if we protect them a little and we coach them up, we can make it work. Because it does appear like that. It, the, the play, the, the plan is a little bit more like that. You know, it's like they they need to run the ball a lot to be able to pass protect. Is sort of how it feels. If I had to gauge their feelings for it, so I don't know. This this week's matchup though is a there's something that I don't like about it. FC, and I'll start with you. We're talking about the Minnesota Vikings game. Uh, and your Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, the thing I don't like about this matchup is Xavier Rhodes is a guy that you know could potentially match match up well enough with AB to at least make. You know, he's not going to have the free run through the defense like he had last week. Antonio Brown isn't. And and the, and the thing is, usually you'd say, well, then the other guy's going to have to cover Martavis Bryant, but Martavis Bryant isn't all the way there. And the guy he's going to play against. The one thing he can do is is run down the field with big guys, and I'm talking about uh, uh, Grabby uh, Trey, Trey Waynes. Trey, Trey Waynes. Grabby Waynes. I call him Grabby because that was the nickname that Perch bestowed upon him during the draft year when he was coming out. Extremely accurate. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> Pretty true. I think about that every time I see him. I replay grabbing somebody. Uh, but anyway, FC. So I'm going to put this question to you. Is you know, is Minnesota's are, are there outside corners good enough to, you know, essentially slow down or shut down the Steelers' two main receiving threats? And will they have to, you know, dig deeper into the the pile of receivers? Um, kind of. I think the only thing that can shut down the Steelers' offense is Todd Haley, in a way. And I, I re- no, no, no. I, re- I'm sincerely believe in the Steelers' skill a lot more than then I don't think that Trey Wayans and I think that as funny as this sounds, I don't believe that Xavier Rhodes is going to follow AB around. And I don't think Xavier Rhodes can stay. I think Xavier Rhodes can shut down Martavius Bryant a lot with a lot more success than Xavier Rhodes will be able to shut down Antonio Brown. My well, concern. Here's the, here's the, the, reason I, the reason I say that, FC, I'm just going to interrupt for a second, is because. Sure. Pretty much, pretty much shut down Odell Beckham, who is, you know, one of the closer NFL receivers to what Antonio Brown does. I'm not. You wouldn't think he'd be possible because he's a bigger guy. I I mean, I understand that AB has, uh, you know, a few drops. I'm not the biggest Odell Beckham Jr. fan. I understand what he brings to the offense. I've seen the Giants game and what they look like without him. I think that AB is so unique. Um, the, the, The player that I would compare pair AB to probably the most that I've seen in the NFL recently would be Marvin Harrison. A lot of people disagree with that because Marvin Harrison was such a precise route runner. The thing is, is I think AB's a little bit more slippery. I think that Harrison maybe had a little bit more top end speed, but both of them are such hard workers and you don't really see it. Marvin Harrison was such an introvert that you didn't see it. And Antonio Brown has a little bit of a clown to him, meaning like the Facebook live stuff that you think that, Oh, this guy can't be a hard worker. He actually is. I don't. I think, you know, I, I, Harrison Smith actually is the, probably the one person from Minnesota's 
that he scares me more than Xavier Rhodes, and he scares me more than Trey Wayans because his ability to read plays and read the ball and go get it. Yeah. So I mean, just getting back to the question, you you do you, do you know? Do you think that it's a game where, like like the Seattle game when you know the Steelers put up a lot of points against Seattle, but they sure. did it because their other receivers stepped up in the game. I'm sort of feeling like that's where we're headed with this weekend. Oh, I won't be surprised if Eli Rogers has a big game or if Martavius Bryant has a big game. I won't be surprised if all three receivers have a big game. I don't buy into the series going to be a four-wide receiver offense and they're going to take Le'Veon Bell off the field at the time. I, don't, I, I think that's something that the Sewer showed last week, and you'll see more of it. I understand they had success with it, but Le'Veon Bell, I just I have so much so many problems with Todd Ailey's offense. I don't want to eat up either the podcast, but, you know, let's let's have a running back in the field, uh, in the backfield, and at least have the threat of a play action or the run at times. You, you'd be amazed how much the field would open up. Yeah, well, it's the it's the way of the NFL, man. It's the mm-hmm. you know, this it's the running. It's as I said the other day on the on the on the uh, forum, you know, it's the it, that's the Steelers' running game on third and short. It, you know, the, we talk about the extension of the running game being those little quick passes, and they just decided they would rather have, you know, Antonio Brown or Martavis Bryant against a couple of defensive backs trying to pick up two yards versus a running back running into big guys. And that, once again, that, that plays to what you're saying about the offensive line, that they don't really sure. trust them. But if you look at week one of the NFL, probably the two most successful offenses coming out of week one of the NFL were pro-style base offenses, meaning two tight ends were um, Kansas City Chiefs. How, how often do you think they were in three wide receiver sets against New England? And Do they even have I, three wide receivers on the roster? Right. And uh, <laughs> probably you would have to say the Vikings to a point because, well, you know, they hung points and they look very – yeah. And uh, they were they pretty great. much based. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount the amount of you know, they were able to attack the middle of the field. I mean, that brings us to the next point, Perch, which is, you know, I'm here. I'm here wondering if the if Minnesota can have a chance to really shut down the Steelers' two main receiving threats. But then I go to the other side, and I don't see anybody on the Steelers' roster that can cover Adam Thielen. Am I am I missing something? Oh. You know, I think maybe you're a little bit higher on Adam Thielen than, than I am. I, I think that, you know, he really got, you know, his way last week with New Orleans defense is, is hideous. I think that, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. Every, everything that uh, Minnesota's offense looked like world beaters last week, I'd say 80% of that was because of New Orleans defense being absolutely awful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the Steelers will do what they do. I, I think that – to me, Stephon Diggs, I think, is, is the, the slipperier guy. He's a little bit more like A.B. You can get in and out of breaks and, and get a ball in the open field and make something big happen. Uh, but, I mean, are those two any better than any other combination of receivers the Steelers face week in, week out? I think they're they're solid receivers. They're not, you know, it's not a top 10 wide receiver group. But I think that the Steelers' advantage in this game, I think, will be the number three and four guys. Minnesota's who's Minnesota's third corner. I mean, it's uh, Terrence it's Newman. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I think that he, he'll have a tough time keeping up with Eli Rogers. Um, you know, in, in Minnesota, once they get down their line, I, I don't think they've got a guy that is is really going to take big advantage of the Steelers' third and fourth corners. So, um, you know, it's really going to come down to up front too. Whatever defensive line beats whatever offensive line is probably going to can dictate which way the game goes. Um, I mean, I think as a tight end, you know, I mean, I just feel like the way Minnesota uses their uses the personnel that they have is they get a lot out of, uh, you know, a lot out of a good, not great group. The Steelers get a little out of a great group, right? I mean, so it's that's that's the danger. The danger is that you can, you know, if you if you have a good plan, just feel like they they do have they, their weapons are good enough. Steelers is one of those cats that, you know, he works out of the slot a lot. That's what worries me. It's like the Steelers have intentions to play man defense. They, there's a reason I, I think Diggs is great. It's just that I feel like you put Artie Burns on Diggs and you let him run around with Diggs all day long, you're probably going to be okay. You're going to mitigate Diggs a little bit. You may not stop him, but you at, least, you at least have a guy that matches up with him. We don't really have anybody to match up with Thielen because if you're going to put either Gay or Hilton on him in the slot, um, you know that's a matchup. You're gonna, the quarterback's going to be looking for that guy on every play. You have that matchup. 
Thielen against Hayden. I feel like Thielen is too good a route runner, too quick for Hayden. But, you know, maybe we haven't – maybe last week was not the best way to judge Joe Hayden and that he's going to get a little better as he plays more. I don't know. Um, then, you know, And then it's like we never are able to really cover these tight ends, a really good move tight end. Um, that's why I say, you know, to me, I'm, I feel like this is going to be a high-scoring game. Steelers will, you know, get some points out of their – uh, secondary receivers in this game, but uh, I feel like Minnesota, we're not going to be able to entirely stop them in the condition that our defense is in right now. And FC, I'll start with one name, you know, on the on the score on the scorecard and in the pass rush, he did some good things. But uh, Anthony Ciccolo, I think, upon a you know pretty close viewing that I did of the game, um, he had some real issues against the run. And as a, you know, when he was asked to drop into coverage, I worry that if, if Dupree is not going to play in this game, that it's going to leave the Steelers pretty susceptible to the run against a, you know, a, a team that is going to be eager to run it to that right side. Um, did you see the same thing I did? What do you think about the oh, Steelers oh, stopping down? They're going to try. See, here, here's the thing. I agree. Chicklo doesn't look great in reverse. But, you know, is Riley Reese and Rummers, who I'm very familiar with from Carolina, are they going to, you know, one of the things that's really going unnoticed or untalked about in, in, across all Sealer Nation is, is in there did Joe Thomas give up three sacks last week? I believe two to T.J. Watt and one to Cameron Hayward. Our front seven may have finally started to come around because if two it is all right for the first 10 plays of the game, I think to it was in the backfield six out of the 10. Um, I won't, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I agree with about, you know, feeling and about Kyle Rudolph and about Dalvin Cook. They have, are they going to be able to block us up? And Sam Bradford's having knee problems again. Um, I do have concerns. I get, if I was in Minnesota, if we were Minnesota Vikings fans and we were doing this, I would be very, very concerned about this, about attempting to run the ball and protect Sam Bradford, you know, against the Steelers, you know, front. I understand that Cleveland's Cleveland, but, you know, they spent a ton of money on their offensive line. And, you know, Zeitler's a pretty good player. You know, Joe Thomas is pretty decent. Sean Coleman's pretty decent. Joel Batania is pretty decent. The, the Browns may have a top seven offensive line in the NFL and the Steelers just dismantle them. And that's what I'm hanging my hat on. And I have a lot of hope about, I remember seeing Sam Bradford's not the best quarterback under pressure. The, those beautiful throws aren't so beautiful whenever he has to move his feet or he's worried about being crushed. And I, I, that, that, that's I, one of the two of you said that this game is going to be won or lost across the offensive line by both teams. And I completely agree. It's going to be one in the trenches. This game's going to be one in the trenches. I won't be shocked if Minnesota puts up 31 points. I won't be shocked if Minnesota puts up three points. That's how it's early in the season, and you just don't know what both teams have because Minnesota did play, you know, New Orleans, who's terrible. And, you know, the Steelers often did look terrible at times against the Browns, but their defense at times looked unbelievable. Yeah. Well, Everson, you know, Everson Griffin's purchase is a, you know, that's a that's a tough matchup for anybody. He's a great player. Um, you know, it's it definitely on paper. You you just have to worry about this. I mean, can our offensive line run the ball and protect uh, Ben well enough against this matchup for for FC statement to work out in the Steelers' favor? In other words, if you think about this game just in terms of our our offensive line against their front their offensive line against our defensive front, missing to it, maybe having a, you know, less than 100% Dupree. You know, what do you think about the matchup? Just looked at under that microscope. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, they've got two good ed- edge rushers. Uh, Danelle Hunter looked really good last week, too. Again, I think part of that might be a byproduct of New Orleans offensive line. But, uh, you know, Hunter looked good and Griffin both looked good. I mean, those guys really got after it. Um, but I, I think our offensive line, we've seen them enough over the past two or three years to know that they're not like they were in years past where, you know, one or two good pass rushers is going to completely wreck our day. And I think that, uh, 
the diversity and, and the amount of athletes that are on that offense, you know, uh, Minnesota is going to have to kind of commit or are we here to shut down the passing game? Are we here to shut down the run game? And the Steelers, especially at home, should be able to take advantage of whatever's given to them. So maybe Le'Veon Bell comes back. I, I kind of get a get a feeling he's going to bounce back with a 150-yard day because everybody wrote him off after last week. He missed training camp. The Steelers didn't use him much, blah, 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 blah. That's the storyline. You just kind of get the uh, the feeling that this week that uh, Minnesota is going to be more concerned with our pass game and Bell's going to have a chip on his shoulder. Maybe he goes out and has a huge day and carries the offense. Yeah, although I worry that's a trap, you know. Um, I agree with you. I expect, I fully expect this, this to be sort of like, you know, the Le'Veon Bell reminding the world that he's Le'Veon Bell week. That that is that does seem to be how it shapes up. But but FC that seems to you know lead you to a close game, a smash mouth football game that's not necessarily a game where you really you know let it rip on offense and put up a lot of points. I mean, I think about the Ravens game on Christmas last year being another yet another example of a game where you know, the Steelers did their best to keep that game in the, you know, sort of in the middle of the trenches, you know, a street fight. And then when they finally got behind and they had to open up the offense, they just breezed down the field. And then in the last play of, the, of, a, of a series where they, they passed the ball from one end of the stadium to the other, they handed it to Le'Veon Bell. He walked in the end zone. It's like, why, why do things the hard way when you can do things the easy way? Okay, I got to let it go because – We'll just be talking about our offensive coordinator again, but um, let me ask you a question about the tr- the trenches since we're sort of still on that, uh, and that is Stephon Tuitt. I mean, we, you know, sort of dodged a bullet uh, with with him and his injury, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make the assumption, even though it's possible that he could play this week, I'm gonna make the assumption he doesn't play. Last week uh, they used Tyson Lulu the majority of the time as Tuitt's uh, replacement. They didn't. They didn't let uh, you know uh, Gravedigger Hargrave really do anything except for be the nose tackle in the base package that they only used him for 20 plays. Um, that, wouldn't it not? Would it not make sense if Tuit is out of the game to at least rotate in on passing downs uh, some other guys besides Alulu? Oh, I would like that. I don't think that the Steelers were necessarily expecting you know Tuit to go down. I'm sure that if uh, and Alou Alou played actually pretty pretty well. You know, he was definitely an improvement over Cam Thomas and what we've had is uh, the third rotation defensive end. Um, but, yeah, I would I would like to see Hargrave on the field, you know, a little bit more than in, than 20 plays, especially considering the Steelers' uh, uh, defense was stuck on the field for, you know, quite a while. Um, the thing is, is I think that Hargrave's, as much as we love him, he's been susceptible to injury. And uh, I think that – I don't want to say that they necessarily were protecting him, but at the same time, you know, it's probably kind of difficult to just slap a guy outside, you know. I, I'm sure you'll see more Hargrave this week if Tui can't play, playing some defensive end. But, you know, uh, just right there, you know, you know, Hargrave was coming off maybe a concussion – you know, week one, they probably, you know, if, if they were forced to play, you know, Hargraves there. But Alou Alou's performance, I, I wasn't in a big rush to yank him off the field. I would like to see him more. I'm sure that most of the Steeler Nation would. I mean, he's an explosive player that can provide an interior pass rush, which is something that this team has been looking for for, you know, a long while since pretty much Aaron Smith retired. Yeah. I think I think we we have it'd be hard to have three better interior guys in a three four base for pass rushing. I mean, it just feels like that you know you have three three pretty good players. Depth. I mean, and that's the thing that what, what I mean, even with Alu Alu, when when you add him in there, I mean, I'm at the point where I was a fan of his in Jacksonville. I realized that he wasn't going to come in and be JJ Watt, but I kind of expected that he was going to come in and be a very serviceable player because he's just relentless. He wants to play hard. He's a proud poly, you know, and you're going to get everything he has. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's all you, I mean, that's the thing what you really can, you know, can ask of a guy, um, right. especially as a backup, right? You just want that effort. Uh, hey, uh, Perch, just uh, one last thing before we move on to our uh, next segment. Um, 
we talk, you talk about Joe Thomas and, and the FC was mentioning that he believes he gave up three sacks, which I think is correct. Um, we didn't really talk about TJ Watt up to this point in the show, which is amazing uh, considering that he, he, uh, he was just, I think it was like, he was so good that now it's like, you don't even feel like you have to talk about him. Um, but uh, I'll put it in this context, according to pro football focus, Villanueva of the Steelers was the second rated offensive tackle uh, in week one in the NFL, according to PFF. And um, he trailed only Joe Thomas <laughs> of, the, of the Cleveland Browns. I was like, what did, did, yeah. like, did you, did I miss something? Cause I not only watched that whole game, I did a, you know, a rewatch of that game looking at the all 22. And I can tell you that, that uh, Joe Thomas had one of the worst games he's ever had in the NFL, and somehow he was the, graded the best. Well, uh, that tells talk you about everything Watt, you know. Well, it tells you everything you need to know about Pro Football Focus. I mean, a guy doesn't win Defensive Rookie of the Week and record two sacks and a couple other pressures where he got close to sacks, and the guy that he went up against somehow was the best left tackle in the NFL. So either the left tackle play in the NFL was atrocious because Bill Nueva was not uh, stellar in that game by any means either. <laughs> And I just, you know, they've got different uh, British guys and Irish guys rating all these games. Whatever Irish guy did the Steelers game uh, must not know what the hell he was looking at with left tackle play is all I could say. But that's 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 enough of those guys. But T.J. Watt, I mean, that's that's exactly what we expected from him. A relentless motor, good quicks, hustle, smart, in the right place, up against unbelievably athletic. Yeah, and up against a rookie quarterback who's going to hold that ball that extra second, he's going to get get his, and that's exactly what he did. I mean, that's the Steelers have every confidence in the world in the kid. I mean, he's got a lot of refining to do. He, he even showed some good counter moves in that game. He's got to work on his pass rush a little bit more, and he's going to, you know, he's he'll definitely be better, I think, at the end of the season than he is right now. But uh, it, you know, when you've got the effort, the smarts, and the athleticism that he does, good things are going to happen. You know, so that's 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 my take on Watt. He did uh, th- did a good job. Was not by any means perfect, but um, you know, a very good game. Yeah, it's just refreshing to have somebody who's a number one pick for the Steelers to step right in and you know, just like it feels like. I mean, I'm, I'm the biggest you know James Harrison advocate that there is, and I know that later in the year, as the year goes on, I'm sure he's going to play a bigger role, and they're probably you know sort of saving the ammunition with him. Uh, but it's refreshing that somebody can finally step in and not be completely embarrassing, <laughs> you know, right from the get-go. Because uh, you just feel like Watt is a hard worker. He's got talent. He's going to get better. And he put up a pretty good game against, um, you know, that guy has no, you know, even though we don't think he was the number one rated tackle in the NFL this week that, that like PFF did, but he's that's a that's a guy that's for real. You know, he's a real NFL left tackle, and uh, and Watt, you know, looked. Uh, like a challenge for for Thomas. So uh, if I wonder how sacks, much of a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You first. Go ahead. If he had zero sacks in that game, if he didn't record a single sack, I would still say he had a phenomenal game. The interception that he had was incredible. I mean, you can say that Kaiser made a bad throw. It was a phenomenal play. He dropped into the hook zone. He read the you know he read the route behind him, peaked, and he went up, dropped an extra six feet, and made an unbelievably athletic interception. That's a 255-pound guy, guys. That's, you know, if, if if Willie Gay makes that interception, you know, it's not nearly as impressive as a big man making that play. And I thought that T.J. Watt was very good against the run. He absolutely disposed of tight ends. They tried to run a fullback at him. He buckled them. He was great game one. He couldn't have been better game one. I think he deserved Defensive Player of the Week, Week One, not not just Rookie of the Week. I think he deserved Defensive Player of the Week, Week One. That wasn't yeah, the well, biggest fan of him as an outside linebacker when we dropped him. I thought he might end up inside. I thought he was going to be a great player, but he showed that length and his athleticism. Just that was. There was times where I was just I stopped the game because DVR rewound it, and I was just like, "Holy shit! You're you're not supposed to do that as a rookie." <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that uh, the guy in Jacksonville, I think, maybe deserved Player of the Week with his four sacks. And, oh, uh, uh, from Calais Denver. Campbell. Yeah. Calais, oh, Calais, oh Calais, 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 Calais Campbell. Wow, I'm losing my head. Yeah. Calais Campbell, yeah. I don't know if you guys saw any of the highlights of that, but that'll, that'll transition us nicely into our next 
are, are around the league pick segment brought to you by Chico's Bail Bonds. Yeah, Chico's Bail Bonds, and uh, we don't got nobody else. We're trying to get Snoop. It's in the mix. Snoop's in the mix. Yeah, we got we got our people working on that. If we only yeah. had people. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, that was uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask you guys if you uh, you know it's week one. Week one is always a bit of a weird outlier. Like um, you think you have all these narratives after week one, and then you go to week two and it comes off. It's like that the year the Patriots lost, they got shut out thirty to nothing or something in week one, and then Dulce. proceeded to you know destroy the rest of the NFL for the rest of the season. So you never know. Um, but, but yeah, I thought that Jacksonville, that was the most surprising result of the whole weekend. I thought not that, you know, they necessarily beat a great team, but just that they looked that confident. Uh, that's a big step forward for that franchise. Um, first, what did you see that, uh, this weekend that surprised you? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And I say that for the simple <laughs> fact that week one in the NFL does not matter. Kansas City and Minnesota are not as good as they look. New England's not as bad as they look. Everything you saw this week, forget about it and come talk to me in about three or four weeks from now. You know, every year that that first week, you, you get those idiots like Colin Calvert uh, doing his top ten teams lift after the first week, and it's just like Minnesota and the Baltimore Ravens are like two of the top five teams in the league. No, they're not. You know, get, settle down. You know, go go back and, and, and wait <laughs> another three or four weeks. And so I'm not too too surprised by anything that happened in Week One. I never am, and I never will be. You don't you don't think the Rams are Super Bowl contenders? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Jared Goff uh, still is not uh, top five quarterback in the league, no matter what he, his stats were last week. Sorry, Alex Smith. Hey, can I, sorry, can I, never. It's never going to happen again, Alex Smith. Ever. Ever. Can, can I give you an interesting, uh, maybe you guys an interesting uh, statistic? Speaking of Jared Goff and Alex Smith, um, uh, Football Outsiders, which is actually a, a really good analytic NFL uh, site. I feel like there's. Their stuff is like they look at every play in context. Um, therefore, if you run for 15 yards on third and 20, it doesn't give you the same grade as if you ran for, you know, I mean, it give you uh, a bad grade for that and a good grade for running two yards on fourth and one. Um, so at any rate, uh, they created a statistic that they jokingly named Alex um, that refers to how, on average, how far behind the sticks to throw the quarterback throws the football on third down. So in other words, um, a high Alex score would mean you almost, you know, you more often than not, you throw it behind the line of scrimmage uh, or you, you throw it behind the sticks. You throw it four yards on third and eight, so on and so forth, right? So they just called it Alex because Alex Smith was famous for this, you know, and so they wanted, to, they wanted something to gauge why a guy with, with good – uh, efficiency statistics like Alex Smith is still not that successful. So anyway, they made this thing. Um, Alex Smith is actually uh, not bad in the Alex last year. He, you know, the last couple of years he's sort of been throwing more, less safe uh, throws. And you know, this this week, of course, he was throwing downfield like he was Ben Roethlisberger. But what's funny, uh, last year in the NFL in 2016, uh, Jared Goff led the NFL in distance. Uh, of his third down throws in comparison to the sticks. He he threw beyond the sticks almost every, you know, on average, way more than anyone else in the NFL did. Alex Smith was maybe second or third, which is funny. And then, uh, you know who was who, the worst quarterback in the league in terms of throwing under the sticks? Mr. Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger. Please tell yeah, me. Ben Roethlisberger averaged um, four, uh, over, I think it's 4.2 yards behind the sticks on third down. And if you think about the number of times they had third and short and he threw deep, just let that sink in for a second. Ben Roethlisberger, on average, threw short of the sticks on third down more than any quarterback in the NFL. And Jared Goff is at the other end of that spectrum. <laughs> like, okay. Tells you a lot. Um, FC, what about you? Surprises. How bad the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is. Wow, those two tackles are terrible. They really, I mean, like, I actually had some fear of Cincinnati coming into the season. I know it's only one week, but wow, they got some problems. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm like Perch. I, I try not to read too much into week one because I otherwise, I, I, I would say the same thing about New, New England's defense. I mean, it's not just that they lost the game or that somehow, 
you know, Brady was not able to connect with Gronk because Eric Berry took him out. Like, no, nobody has Eric Berry, right? Nobody else, not even the Chiefs have Eric Berry anymore this year. So, you know, probably that's the last time that Gronk is going to get shut down unless he gets hurt. Um, but their defense really in disarray. And that's the same thing I would say about Cincinnati's offensive line. It's like, if this continues, if it becomes a trend rather than just a one game thing, yeah, that's a, that's a bad, because with that quarterback who is not, you know, known for really holding up under pressure, that's a, that's a bad scene there. Go ahead. If there's any coach in the NFL other than Bill Belichick, just imagine how our board would be if Mike Tomlin gave up a second round draft pick and cut him for a player. He made a trade, second round draft pick, and then he cut that player before preseason game three. And that's what happened with New England and, and County Ely. The Steelers, well, our board would have fucking imploded. I mean, we're, we're ready to kill over uh, Sergeant Holka from Stripes, the long snapper. You know, and then we're going to six round pick, a second round pick. That would be like us cutting Juju uh, Smith Schuster. You know, just cutting him before we game three. I, I, yeah. I just. But when you're Belichick and you do it, people are like, oh, it's a genius move. I can see why it would work out for them. You, you, just, cut, you just cut the court. But if Bill Belichick was the Bill Belichick coming out of Cleveland, and he didn't have those four or five Super Bowls, yeah, that wouldn't that turd wouldn't flush. I think he's the only coach in any pro sport that could have something like that happen, and he doesn't get taken to the mats over it. No, he's a, he's a few years away from getting taken to the mat. I mean, it took it took uh, what tw- you know al- almost I mean, it took a decade of only good teams and not great teams for Chuck Noll to get heat, you know. So he's got he's got at least that long. They might actually worship him more in New England than Chuck Knoll was valued here. Oh, I agree uh, with that. Anyway, so so uh, let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the games this week. Anything interesting? Um, you see what jumps out at me in my looking around. Actually, I'll start with you, Perch. Um, the game with no defense. New England is a six and a half point favorite at New at New Orleans. Um, that's kind of an interesting game to me because I kind of feel like for all of New Orleans' flaws, if New England's defense still has a degree of the problems they had last week, and it feels like they will, I don't, I don't know where the fixes are for that defense. Um, feels like this game could be uh, like a barn burner, like fun to watch if you like offense and you like no defense, which I don't. Yeah, um, what's your take I, on New England? I honestly, I think that uh, New England's defense is going to bounce back a little bit. New England's offense is going to get right. It will be a high-scoring game, but I, I kind of like New England something like forty-two to twenty-seven. I just uh, the Saints. Uh, I think Breeze is kind of on the way down. I, I think that uh, their offense, skill position-wise, isn't quite. They don't have a freaking clue what to do with their running backs. Adrian Peterson's going to blow his mind here real quick. You know, he's basically <laughs> in on one package. It's like. Yeah, hey, here's our jumbo package with our fullback and Adrian Peterson coming in the game. When they come in, we're going to run. If it's uh, you know third and one at the at the goal line, we're going to fake it, uh, hand off to him and try and throw it to him. The rest, it's it just not going to work. I wouldn't be surprised if they traded him in the next couple of weeks. But uh, their offense, I don't think, is nearly as good as, as what it had been in the past. I think age is starting to catch up with Breeze. Not that he's fallen off the edge, and their defense is horrible. Their offensive line's bad. They're gonna they'll come in last in their division this year. New England's New England's gonna not start knowing too. So, forty two twenty seven Patriots is what I see. Yeah, uh, hey, FC. Before you take that on, uh, uh, what was I gonna say about that? Oh, uh, you know, I'm always I'm always in favor of the Steelers. I feel like they should rotate more of their skill position personnel. That they never really do any of that. Um, you know, use all three running backs for what they're good at, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if, New Orleans takes that to an extreme. Like they're the opposite end of the spectrum. You know? yeah. They have like every play, three guys come on and off. It's, that's got to be five and a half hour football I, games. Yeah, I just mean it's got it's got to be a, a hard thing for the players. I mean, for a guy like Adrian Peterson, who's never been in a system like that, it's got to be hard to feel, uh, you know, just to feel like you're never really part of the game somehow. I don't get into know, a rhythm. I, I, to get into a rhythm in the game. Like I think Perch made probably the best point. Uh, and it's nothing against you, but whenever he said the Steelers often ran what, four plays in the first quarter, so they could never get into a rhythm, so they can never sustain anything in that game. And it's a fantastic point. And I think that's what you, you run in, you, you know, whenever you start, you know, too much of the rotation, you know, you get players out of a rhythm, you get players on and off the field, you, you, you know, naturally you're thinking, what, what did I do to get yanked off the field? 
you know, why can't I get mine? Why can't I get any balls? That's my fear about Tampa Bay this week is even without Doug Martin, you know, Deshaun Jackson's going to be screaming for the ball. Mike Evans is going to be screaming for the ball. Cameron Braid's going to be screaming for the ball. You know, um, if, 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 if you are yo-yoing players in and out, in and out, you know, you get out of the rhythm. That's when turnovers happen. That's when mental mistakes happen. You know, I, I like players to try to be razor sharp, but I also agree with you where I like to rotate skill position players in and out of the game. Like, if you're going to show me that single high safety, I'm going to be running ghosts with Martavius Bryant all fucking game. And Martavius Bryant ain't going to be able to run 16 and 7 yards every single play. So bring in Smith Schuster, bring in Eli Rogers. I completely agree with that. I do not agree with yo yo and players. And the police are not coming for me. <laughs> you would think, yeah, and, uh, man, again, we got fire trucks and everything. Reminds me of my days in New York City doing the podcast across the street from a fire station. Always a, a fun thing. Um, I, I, so, what do you what do you think happens in this game? Just quickly, I think that uh, I, I, I'm right with with Perch with about the 40 to 42 for New England. Um, I don't like New Orleans offense either, so I'm going to go with 42 17. Uh, I'll I tell you this. I guess I'm the contrarian. I'm going to take the Saints. Um, I don't think the Saints are that great, but it's not a, it's not a good matchup for New England. Drew Brees, by the way, uh, is 3-1 and one in his career against the Patriots with 10 touchdowns, one interception, and a 123.3 passer rating. Um, that guy is one guy that is very hard for Belichick to fool, I think, um, just based on what's happened in the past. I'm, I'm going to say that Drew Brees – pulls off uh, the shocker, because it really would be a shocker, as you guys said, for the Patriots to go 0-2. That would just be like a – that'd be the biggest story in the NFL, really. Um, but I think it's a possibility. I think they could, you know, unless unless um, you know, they could, you know, just outscore them in a game that's ridiculous, I think, I think New Orleans can put up 40 on that D, uh, unless they really, you know, come up with some surprise this weekend just to, uh, you know, shut them down. So I'll take, I'll take New Orleans in a shocker. Um, the Dallas Cowboys play at Denver. That's a pretty good matchup. Uh, Dallas is a two-point favorite at Denver. Uh, FC, what do you think of this? Um, I'm probably the worst person to ask this, and this is the reason why. Is I have not watched the Monday Night Football. <laughs> I, I, no, I didn't get to see the Denver. I didn't get to see the Denver. Um, I actually did get to watch uh, the New Orleans game was replayed on the NFL Network in the middle of the night, so I actually got to watch that. Um, so I'm actually going to pull myself out of this. I just know that Trevor Simeon, I really didn't buy into him. And uh, I, you know, I, Dallas looked pretty good on Sunday night. Yeah, Dallas, I think they did that's too. Like a, that's like a blind squirrel trying to get a nut. I have no idea. <laughs> well, they were Trevor Simeon actually was, you know, he's, he's never going to be like a, a great quarterback. But I feel like he's a you know if you put him on a team with some talent around him, uh, he's a pretty good quarterback. A buddy of mine uh, said yeah, so he like, looked like Jake Plummer. He's starting to look like Jake Plummer, that quarterback them from Arizona State. Yeah, and, uh, sure. That so. played for the Broncos. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. Um, Perch, what's your what's your take on this game? Um, yeah, I I kind of see the exact same way. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a particularly close game. Yeah, Denver's to, to to me Denver's a very good at home. You know, just that defense and uh it's just a little bit different environment there for people and I know that like uh you know this this game is a 425 uh game on the East Coast which means it's a 2 in the afternoon game for Denver. It's not going to be like the night atmosphere like they had last week. Um but that's a you know still a pretty good test for uh this quarterback uh I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Dallas does win this game. It's only a two point game. I think I feel like it's a close game though. I think it's Dallas by a field goal. Um, so I'll, I'll take it that way. Just and just one more game to talk about, um, and that is Atlanta hosts Green Bay. They are three point favorite. Uh, Atlanta still, you know, they, they eked out a win in Chicago. They got a little bit lucky maybe at the end of that game, uh, coming off the Super Bowl hangover that's sort of typical. Uh, and Green Bay. You know, everybody wants to talk about them as a favorite because they have Rodgers, but they weren't necessarily great shakes either last weekend. Um, a little bit like the Steelers. They, the offense didn't really look like it was up to speed yet. Uh, Perch, what do you think happens in this game? Atlanta, Green Bay. 
Well, man, it's going to be a huge game. I think that, uh, you know, the winner of that game's obviously got the uh, inside track for home field advantage in the NFC. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I think Atlanta probably is going to trip up a little bit this year compared to last year, and I think Green Bay is good enough to go down there and get to win. I think it will be a close game. I'll take uh, Green Bay by a field goal in that game. FC, what do you think? I think it's going to definitely be the game of the week. Um Atlanta's opening up their new stadium, first regular season game there, um, and it's it's a pretty nice stadium. Um, but when push comes to shove, it's going to come down to: do I trust Aaron Rodgers more, or do I trust Matt Ryan more? I'm going to go and say I trust Aaron Rodgers more. The defense is it's it's weird, but I would take Atlanta's um, slightly over over Green Bay, which leaves special teams and intangibles. Um, I'm going to go with Perch and agree, and I'm going to say that like 35-31 or 30-35, that Green Bay somehow manages to find a way to win, and it's just because I believe that much in Aaron Rodgers. Well, let me tell you something you may be not familiar with. You know, we should talk about Ben's home road splits. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' home road splits, terrible. He is 37 and 34 on the road. That's compared to 57 and 15 at home. Uh, and like you said, they're open in the stadium. Their defense is for real in Atlanta. Um, I I think that's a this is no win situation for Aaron Rodgers. I do agree, great game, but I, I expect I expect Atlanta to wear them out uh, in the second half of this game. Just just too many moving parts for a team like Green Bay to stop. Uh, in week two to before they really – they're, they're a bit like the Steelers. They know they have a good quarterback. They know they can put it all together, and they, they sort of, uh, you know, figure it out as the season goes along what they're really good at. Every year it feels like they have a slightly different take on offense and a slightly different um, sensibility on defense, and that's just, a you know, like very Steelers-like in that way. Uh, but I don't think in week two going to Atlanta really fits where Green Bay is at right now. So I will take Atlanta. There you go. See, we have a we have some disagreement. I like that. Uh, we we need to disagree more. We need somebody to come on the show and love Todd Haley. We could spend two hours on that, <laughs> or or not. Uh, hey, we got a phone call hour. from Todd Haley's wife and kid. <laughs> that's, that's what it's going to take. You never hey, know what Mrs. Todd Haley, Haley on the line. Might ask of us. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, it could be anything. Uh oh, is Todd going to be in his chair? (laughs) He wants someone to take care of their dogs. uh, Yeah. Um, actually, you know who who should now that we're leaving the pick segment, it should you know we should still have it brought to us by Akib Talib's mom. I don't know why we don't have her as a sponsor anymore. Because she'll shoot her ass. All right. Well, maybe this year it's Todd Haley's wife and dogs. There you go. Who will be sponsoring the podcast? Uh, that brings us to our five-star matchup because we're in it. That's your actually this week. Looking at that slate of games, Pittsburgh, Minnesota is a pretty good matchup for uh, week two in the NFL for teams that don't see each other all that often. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Minnesota Vikings. Um, like like Perch alluded to earlier, the Steelers are six-point favorite at home. It does feel like a little bit of a setup. Like hits their home opener, they almost always win. Uh, especially with uh, Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. Perch, I go to you for. Oh, actually, actually it's, it's FC's week to go first. FC, you're first. What happens in the I'll game? be quick. I'll be quick. Don't worry, boys. Um, the key to this game is going to be the trenches. Um, we went over that. Um, it's too furious for Minnesota. Um, number one, we haven't even discussed him, which is criminal. Might be the best interior defense lineman no one talks about in the NFL, and that's Mr. Linval Joseph from East Carolina, who everybody on this fucking podcast loved. Um, He's turned out to be a stud. Um, him and Ramon Foster is going to be an absolute war. Uh, second player that I fear the most is if uh, you expand out is basically, um, I believe he has 211 plays in the NFL, and he has 13 and a half sacks, and that is Daniel Hunter from LSU. Um, and he's going to be going against Mr. Alejandro Valmueva, who showed a little bit of an issue with some speed and athletic rushers, so that has me concerned. At the end of the day, um, Antonio Bryan uh, showed – uh, last week, uh, why he's the best receiver in the NFL. Um, I expect more from Le'Veon Bell. Um, I expect City of Pittsburgh to be going nuts. Ben, you know, home and road splits, which you got into. Ben is an elite quarterback at home, especially in openers. Um, I expect the Steelers to not only win, but to cover. But it's not going to be a blowout. I'm going to go with 
17 Pittsburgh Steelers. A perch. What do you think? Well, you know, this is one of those games that uh, you look at it analytically based on what the teams did last week. And I think the Steelers, you know, Ben and the offense typically struggle against Mike Zimmer defenses. I think it'll stay low scoring. Minnesota, I think, has got just enough on offense to put up some points. I'm going to go 20 for Minnesota, 16 for Pittsburgh. Having said that, I fully expect Pittsburgh to score 38 and win by three touchdowns. So um, my official pick will be Minnesota 20, Pittsburgh 16. Yeah, I mean, if we if we went – it's funny because you're the person that said don't pay attention to week one. If we went strictly by week one, um, I, I would pick Minnesota to win this game by double digits. Um, I think they the difference in how these two teams played in week one and, and just how they match up with each other um, just feels like, you know, Minnesota's got that sort of balanced offense thing with some dynamic players, and they're not afraid to throw downfield to the middle of the field. They have a tight end that can, you know, go and get the ball. They have a running running game. just feels like they, in theory, uh, could give the Steelers some trouble. Um, I, therefore, I, I think that, you know, they will probably score more points than the Steelers' defense gives up on average. Um, but I feel like uh, this – this Minnesota team is not as good as the Kansas City Chiefs team that the Steelers played in week four last year. And uh, it's not as the Steelers offense is better potentially this year than they were at that point last year with, you know, without Mark Davis, Bryant and so on. Um, I, I think the Steelers put up the big number. I think it's a high scoring game. I, I, I can, you know, I can totally see purchase scenario happening. Uh, it wouldn't, it will not be the biggest shocker to me, but if I have to make an official prediction, I'm making it Steelers 41 and uh, Minnesota Vikings 27. I just, you know, I kind of feel like the Vikings could even put up more points, except for that the Steelers get a lead in this game. Um, they are they are going to, you know, eat clock on long drives rather than, you know, throw bombs, uh, and that's that could keep the score down for Minnesota at, at the tail end of the game. 41-27 though is a, you know. More points than the Steelers usually give up on defense. Um, they don't do that too much. I think they, other than the, the New England Patriots, the last time they gave up 27 points, if I'm not mistaken, was against the Cowboys last year. Um, so I think the Cowboys' offense, better than Minnesota's, uh, Steelers' defense improved from where it was against Dallas. So 27 is still a pretty good number. 41-27 for the Steelers. Uh, FC, I'll give you the last word. Case Keenum will be in the game. George will take out Sam Bradford. Wow. Going bold. Go bold or go home. Perch, last word. Uh, you know, the Steelers, looking at the schedules here, we've got, Balt- we got at, you know, a lot of road games coming up here early in the, se- in the season. At Chicago, which the Steelers never, ever win at Chicago. <laughs> Baltimore. <laughs> Ever, never, very rarely ever win at Baltimore. This is a big game. I mean, the Steelers could be staring down the barrel of a very disappointing one and three start with the one win being a shitty game at Cleveland if they don't get their shit together here this week. So it's these next three weeks are big for the season. I mean, the Steelers start on the road a lot early. They play a first place schedule. You know, Baltimore schedules a weak third place schedule. Uh, they've got some real big games, and they need this one in their back pocket. So. Big game this weekend. Got to win it. Got to go up to Chicago and find a way to win. Uh, I have my my doubts about that game too. And then at Baltimore, I'm I'm feeling a little pessimistic here in the next three weeks. So hopefully they prove me wrong. Well, you know, Perch, for all the talk about the you know Steelers uh, light schedule before the bye week, it's it's shaped up a little differently now. I mean, you know, their 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 road games uh, beyond Cleveland, uh, Chicago, like you said, a place they never win. Baltimore, Kansas City, and Detroit. You can see all of those being games that, you know, are no fun uh, to go on as a as a road team. Like you said, got to get it together and soon and figure out a way to, to win some of these games where, in places where they traditionally haven't done it all that well. Um, I don't have a big uh, final thought except for to say uh, I hope that all the Steelers fans out there uh, are able to have uh, power and uh, have everybody safe in their family this weekend so that they can enjoy the game. I know it's just football. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, compare to some of the other things that have been going on. But it's it's been kind of crazy. 
for a lot of those people and having something that you can um, take your mind off of it for a few hours tends to be a good thing. So uh, on behalf of Steeler Nation, that's my hope for this week. And as always, gentlemen, a great show. Uh, enjoyed it a lot talking with you, even though I'm, I'm barely awake one cup of coffee into the day. But <laughs> it's a good way to start your day. And uh, I will talk to you next week after a gigantic uh, interconference victory against your Minnesota Vikings by the year. Pittsburgh Steelers, a big Steelers victory. Go get them, Steelers. Go Steelers. Here we go. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.